mentioned just a second ago, within the last two Sundays, we've asked all of you to fill out a survey about sharing your faith with Jesus. And within that survey, we found out that uh, many of us take it very seriously when it comes to the importance of sharing our faith with others. And we've also seen that many have a sense of fear when it comes to sharing your faith. And the reason for that is because of concern on being judged or persecuted if we bring it up. We worry about how others may see us afterwards and maybe we'll be excluded from events or get togethers because of our faith. And in all honesty, I believe that all have experienced this fear at some point in time in our lives when it came to talking about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there can be a certain stigma even towards those who are faithful and obedient to God. We can find ourselves worried about offending someone or or being seen as an outcast within our social communities. And what if we are seen conversing with someone who is lost or has been mistreated or gossiped about? What will that do to our reputation? This is something that's crossed all of our minds at some point in time during our lives as Christians. And this morning, we're going to continue on our sermon series about sharing Jesus. And this week, we will be focusing on Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And it's in this part of Scripture that we see Jesus about to enter into the final week of his life. And, and it is here where he's making his way towards Bethany, which is outside of Jerusalem. And during that trip, he makes his way through Jericho. So let's open up our Bibles now to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, before we continue on in this chapter, I want us to look back into Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. And it is there that we see Jesus. And again, or previously, he's asked by a rich young ruler what he must do to inherit eternal life. Christ then informed him to sell everything that he had to give the money that he made to the poor and then follow him. And he would have treasure in heaven. The rich young ruler then, of course, becomes really sad because He's very wealthy here on earth and he doesn't want to part from all that he has. And Jesus goes on to explain how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven because they find their security and wealth on the things here on earth. The disciples were then confused and they asked, then how can anybody get into heaven? And Jesus explains to disciples that all things are possible with God. Now, this is interesting because now here in chapter 19, once again, we see Jesus dealing with a rich man in Jericho named Zacchaeus. So making our way back to chapter 19 and in verse three, he, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So we have a very short man, so short that scripture makes it a point to mention it, along with how wealthy he is as well. Verse four says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus ran ahead to where Jesus would pass and he's climbed up into this tree and he's just kind of hanging out there waiting to see just who this Jesus guy is. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, let's pause for a moment right here. And let's just look at who this man Zacchaeus is and and what it meant exactly to be a tax collector back in that day. First off, we know that Zacchaeus is short. He's rich. 
But when we look at the meaning of his name, we find out that the meaning of Zacchaeus actually is pure and righteous. But he was a tax collector. So everyone and anyone who was in town knew that Zacchaeus, what he did for a living, and they definitely did not see him as being pure and righteous. But then, back then, tax collectors were in the same category as those who were murderers and thieves. They were looked down upon. The tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman government, and so they were traitors. They would make a living by taking money from their own people and giving it to the Roman government. And not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. So that means that he didn't just collect from Jericho, but he collected from a larger region as well. And how a Jewish man would become a tax collector was by being sold to a certain franchise. And there was no tax structure back then. And the collectors were told to collect a certain amount of money from the people to give to the government. And then everything else that they made on top of that, they could keep for themselves. So they were kind of working on commission. So we could see the reason for the hatred now that these tax collectors would experience. They were looked down upon. They weren't even allowed to worship in the synagogues because of what they did for a living. Now, everyone here pays taxes, but it's not really comparable to the taxes that were paid back then towards the Roman government, because everything that they collected as taxes would go towards building and strengthening that Roman Empire. People were taxed on every single thing. Of course, they had income tax. If you imported anything, that would be taxed. If you used the roads for travel, you were taxed. Fishermen had to pay taxes on how many fish they caught or how many nets that they would use while fishing. If you had a cart that you used for transferring goods that you were selling, you were taxed on that depending on how many wheels were on the ground. If you had two wheels on your cart, you got taxed for those. And if you had four wheels, you were taxed even more. Whatever you grew was taxed, whether it be a large field, a large crop, or something simple like a garden. And when you reached a certain age, and I think it was in their early teens, you would have to pay a tax because you were breathing. That's right. If you were alive and you were breathing Roman air, you were taxed for it. And of course, it was the tax collector's duty to go out and demand that what people would pay keeping in mind how much they had to give back to the government, but also keeping in mind how much they would collect for themselves. So we can clearly see why this man Zacchaeus was disliked so much. And here we see him climbing into this tree after running through a crowd of people who just hate him because of what he does for a living. But it's also here that we have to note that he's displaying a certain faith like a child. After all, he's running through a crowd. He's climbing a tree like kids do and just to see Jesus, no intention to talk to him, no intention to ask Jesus for forgiveness, just plain curiosity was driving this man. And while he was watching as Jesus walks by, Jesus stops, he looks up to this tree and he calls out to this man, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' house for a meal. Now, as you can imagine, all the people surrounding him and watching this have to be wondering what in the world is going on. You're calling this guy 
and going into his house. This past fall, we did a sermon series on the blessed practices on how we can share our faith with others. And one of those steps is to eat and enjoy a meal with that person. The reason for this is because when we look back on the days when Christ was walking the earth, when you would come into somebody's house and eat a meal with them, it was very intimate. It was a special occasion and experience, and it would build a special bond between those individuals. Verse six says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to the, be the guest of a sinner. So here we have Jesus calling a man out by his name, a man that is hated and showing him the open doorway to a relationship with him. And all of these people that hated Zacchaeus because of his job of being a tax collector saw this. And of course, they became angry. All these people who had been gouged by Zacchaeus, even some Pharisees in this group are seeing all of this just happen right before them. Their blood had to be boiling. After all, they were the ones who had been persecuted by this guy financially and by the Roman government. They were the ones that had been in the synagogues worshiping, and they were the ones who were following the law of Moses. This man was a thief. But here's Jesus going into the house to share a meal with this man. And Christ, once again, experiences something that he's experienced before and he will continue to experience during his lifetime, and that is criticism. But the thing that we really want to make note of is that Jesus didn't care about that criticism. Whenever we're called to do something for God and to serve him in a way that will honor him, we will face criticism. People will gossip. People will speak lies about you. People will misunderstand what you are doing and what you're called to do. They will post things even on social media about you, whether it be on their own account And what I've been educated on, they call them burner accounts, where they make a false profile to just cause strife and to stir things up. They might even hate you. But we have to cling to our faith in God and stand firm in our obedience to him in doing what he has called us to do and also find our peace within him during those times. And we must do just as Jesus did himself. We must not care about what they are saying. We must not care about how they might be slandering our name or or the work that God has called us to do. We just must simply obey God and not care about what is being said. Because when we care about what's being said, Satan wins. We become scared. We become prideful. And we make our name and our image and our reputation an idol instead of focusing in on God. And I guarantee you that these things will happen. And it might seem like the loneliest place on earth. But I have to remind you and promise you that you are not alone. Because we have the Almighty God right there beside us during those times. So we have to be prepared spiritually for this. Remember what Jesus said in John fifteen twenty that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's going to happen and we cannot be afraid. How many times have you allowed the fear of how you would be seen or what it would do to your reputation if you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone? Or if you talked about your faith in Christ in front of others? But here in verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this didn't save Zacchaeus and it didn't earn him eternal life. We know this because in James chapter two, verse 17, it says, thus also faith by itself. It does, if it does not have works, it is dead. So we see Zacchaeus displaying works, showing now that he has come to faith in just a short amount of time. The evangelist D.L. Moody once stated that he believed that Zacchaeus came to faith to Christ sometime in between the moment when he leaped out of the sycamore tree and when his foot hit the ground. Now, according to the law of Moses, a person would have to pay a certain amount if they were caught or confessed stealing something from someone. And Zacchaeus confessed his sins from his tax collecting job and offered to pay the highest price or the highest fine of ripping these people off, according to the law of Moses. So it shows that Zacchaeus's heart had been changed. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And if you have your Bibles with you right now. These two verses need to be circled, highlighted, underlined if you haven't done so already. And the reason for that is because these two verses are some of the most powerful verses in the word of God. The reason for this is because none of us are perfect. Romans 3:23. for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us can be compared in our falling short of the glory of God to this man named Zacchaeus. And here we have this short, wealthy man who's hated, looked down upon by society. Nobody wanted to be associated with this man. Remember, tax collectors were viewed in the same category as murderers and thieves. And Jesus knew this. And when he saw Zacchaeus, he didn't care what others might think about him when he called out to him because he called him by name. And when Christ referred to him as a son of Abraham, we can also make note. Remember in verse nine, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. When you see someone that is lost, when you see someone that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe they've done wrong. They're sinning. They're involved with maybe drugs, alcohol, idolatry, adultery, or, or gossip, or some other type of sin. Do you ignore them? And do you keep your distance and keep walking? Or do you have faith in Christ and share the good news with them? Because Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus as a tax collector who cheated people. He saw him as a son of Abraham. He saw him as a child of God, someone that was created by the Father. And it's amazing how our own perception can change of people when we view them as someone that's created by God, as a child of God, rather than just a sinner and someone who's an outcast. You see, Jesus didn't bless or approve of Zacchaeus's way of life. He didn't go dine with him in his home and join in in the corruption of tax collecting that Zacchaeus was practicing. He welcomed him into his presence and this man found out just who Jesus was, and he was saved. He received eternal life and was rescued from eternal separation from God. So when you see someone who has been gossiped about, who has been hated, who has been excluded from society because of their past, what will you do? There are two options. You can allow fear to creep in. What will others think of me if they see me with this person? Will I be outcasted from the cool group of parents? 
Will my children suffer at school or in the community because I have been seen talking with this person or having a cup of coffee with them? Or will you do as what Christ did and not care about what they might say and still go and share the good news with that person? When first responders enter into a burning building or or even worse, a, a mass shooting, they don't worry about what others will think of them. They focus on the person or persons that they're trying to save. And they show bravery that is really faith in God that He will protect them and help them on their mission. We as Christians are God's first responders. And we have a mission given to us directly by Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples at all ends of the earth. Now, when we remember this portion of Scripture... It was right before Christ ascends into heaven. And when we're on the telephone and we're talking to our family members, what's the last thing that we say before we hang up? I love you. We put a direct emphasis on telling them, making sure that they know that we love them because we never know if it'll be the last chance we get. And here we have Christ putting a direct emphasis on the Great Commission, to go and make disciples at all ends of the earth, right before He ascends into heaven. But we have to remember that this is not going to be easy. You'll be persecuted. You'll be gossiped about. You'll be misunderstood at times. But I have to ask you, are you more concerned about your image and fitting in here on earth? Are you worried about what he or she might say about you and that you too might be seen then as an outcast among your family, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors? Or are you willing to accept this mission to seek the lost and share Jesus Christ with them so that they too may have eternal life? We're no better than anybody else. Maybe that person that you come across is already a Christian. And they just are at a point in time in their life that they're hurting, being misunderstood, gossiped about while they're following God's direction for their life. And they just need some encouragement from their brother or sister in Christ and someone to come alongside them and be there and to pray with them. Are you willing to be one of God's first responders? Are you willing to take part in this rescue mission. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word that You have given us. We thank You for the example that Your Son Jesus Christ has shown us here in Luke 19 and the fact that He came to seek and save the lost. Inspire us through Your Holy Spirit that we may engage in this mission as well to seek the lost and share Your Word with them so that they too may have eternal life through an intimate relationship with Your Son Jesus Christ. Remind us that we are never alone in doing so and that you are always with us. Help us focus on you during those times and only care about how you see us and not what those who misunderstand us may say or think. We completely surrender the results of what may happen to you, God. And we trust fully in you and your word that you give us here today. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we have the humbled privilege to enjoy communion 
with each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, with all of those that have come before us, and with Christ Himself. And as always, all are welcome to the table here this morning. And we come to this table not because we must, but because we may. We come to testify not about our own righteousness, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be His true disciples Come not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on the grace of God, but because in our frailty and sin, we stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift. Cleanse our hearts. As we focus in on you, Lord, to take part in this meal, as we honor your son, Jesus Christ, and acknowledge the fact that he died upon the cross and rose three days later, and we look forward to his coming again. Amen. Hear now the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, and this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, and he poured the wine, and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray once again. O Lord of all, we offer our sacrifice to you in praise and thanksgiving. Gracious God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit on these gifts that they may be the sacrament of the body of Christ and the blood of the new covenant. Unite us with your Son, Jesus Christ, and with all of our brothers and sisters and those who have gone before us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. Come now, for the table is ready.